Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I just hate silence, so I was trying it to see how it worked. (laughs) We've been standing for a while, and I'm going to read God's Word. So I'm just going to let you stay seated. I know we normally stand. Um, I want to read from Luke chapter 2. And a long time ago, when I was a boy, or long ago that was, I think I was probably about seven or eight and our school did our Christmas program at the Overisel Community Hall, and the whole school fit into the little community hall. And there was a stage, and we did the program. And the verse I memorized as a boy was Luke 2, verse 7. And it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let me continue reading the story. And that night, we're in Luke Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And that night, some shepherds were in the field outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you'll recognize him. You'll find a babe lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And suddenly the angel was joined by the vast host of others and the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to whom God favors. And the angel had returned to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in a manger, then the shepherds told everyone what had happened to them and, the angels, and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart. And I always think she treasured them because she had seen an angel too. And she thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their fields and to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them. And because they had seen the child that the angel had said. Can you imagine the thrill, the joy of these shepherds? They had seen Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this part of Scripture where we read of Jesus coming, where God becomes flesh, becomes man, 
and dwells among us. Father, thank you for the fact that the angels sing and praise and all of heaven glorifies Jesus. And Father, we think how he came to his own and the, his own received him not. And they rejected him. And Father, as we look at this morning, the story of Jesus coming to earth, of Jesus becoming man, and more specifically, the names that are given to Jesus, I pray this morning that his name would be made large and great among us. Amen. Well, Christmas is such a busy time of year. I mean, you started the parties already? Huh? Like the family parties and all that. Okay, we had one last night. Just the brothers and sisters had a good time. And, you know, there's always lots of food. Um, Our counter is full of food and snacks. It'll be a good day Tuesday. Uh, Full of food and snacks and all kinds of stuff. And I said to Gwen, you know, after Christmas, we can't do this anymore. Because there's a lot of fun food there. And then there's all the shopping that goes with it and the wrapping of gifts. And um, I've got that all done. Don't I, Gwen? <laughs> okay, I, I think we have it all done, okay? Um, or most of it. And uh, it's just such a busy time of year and it's so much fun. And we get all these gifts. And um, I remember as a kid, oh, I know, last time I tipped my water bottle over, somebody was concerned about it, so there. Um, <laughs> I remember as a kid, I got a toy gun. I was so thrilled. I had the greatest gun ever. It was plastic. It was a rifle. And uh, this was, oh, I was the coolest soldier around. But remember, it was December. And when I went outside to play with it, and then I fell, and that plastic from about 50-some years ago that was brittle when it was cold, I now had two guns. But I fixed it, and I put popsicle sticks on it, and I remember I taped it up, and I had my gun back, and it was good, but after a while, that loosened up. But then I had the coolest gun in the world because I could shoot around corners. It was amazing. Well, some gifts don't last. Some gifts maybe we just don't appreciate quite as much, you know, like the ugly sweater. Um, Yeah, not your color, not your design, not your thing. So you kind of put it aside. Some gifts last a long time. Now, when I was a small guy, again, years ago, my grandmother would give each of the grandkids a sock, one sock, okay? Now, get the whole story. It was like a men's work sock, and she would take that sock and fill it full of candy and treats. And if I remember right, there was always like an apple or an orange in it. So you got this skinny tube sack with a great big orange in it. It kind of looked like a snake that swallowed a basketball. So, you know, here I stand with my gift. I get this skinny sack with a big bulge in it. But in the toe of that sock, my grandma put a silver dollar. And my dad, in his wisdom took that silver dollar and put it aside. And when my dad passed away, he had a dish with silver dollars in it. Here's a silver dollar I got for Christmas years ago. It's an 1879 Liberty silver dollar. It's 140 years old. This gift has lasted 
through time. Someday I will probably give this gift away to someone else, and I have others, but this gift lasted a long time. How many of you remember everything you got for Christmas last year? How many of you remember something you got for Christmas last year? (laughs) Some of those things just come and go so fast. Listen, wouldn't it be great to have a gift of great expense? A gift you'd never be disappointed in. A gift that never was outdated or grew old. How about if you had a gift that would literally change your life? How about a gift that had a lifetime warranty? I could have used it on my little gun, but it had warranty till it breaks. How about a gift that has a lifetime warranty? Well, this morning we're talking about Jesus. And Pastor Jeremy already mentioned John 3.16 this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son a son of that, at great expense, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest gift God could ever give us. And we've read the story this morning in the New Testament of Jesus' birth, but I want us to go back to Isaiah chapter 9. We're backing up almost 700 years before the actual birth of Jesus. And Pastor Jeremy spoke on the first several verses last week. And this was a time of darkness and despair, of gloom, of sin. Um, In fact, one of the verses said that those who walk in darkness, and, and they were, will see a great light. And then do you remember how he shared out of Luke chapter 2 how uh, the priest Simeon held the baby Jesus, which God promised him he'd see before he died. And he saw this child, and he knew it was the Messiah. And he says, this is the light that we've been waiting for. And they recognized Jesus. Well, as the story goes here in the first couple chapters, in the first five chapters of Isaiah 9, there is gloom and doom. There is sin. There's difficulty. Um, they're facing war. They're facing exile. Um, things are not looking good. He promises them light that someone will come. He says, Israel's going to rejoice again. It's going to be like harvest time. Man, there's going to be a thrill someday, and everything's going to be good. And then even in verse 5, it says that even their military clothes aren't going to be passed out anymore, and that they're going to be burned because they're not even going to need them. And then it, the story's building, and it's like, well, who's, who's coming? Who, who's coming to, to lead us through all of this? And then verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born. <laughs> Wait a minute. What we really need here is a king. We need a king with backbone. What we need here is a soldier. We need like another Saul, a guy that stands head and feet above, you know, way above everybody else, and he's handsome, and he's strong, and he's a warrior. That's what we need to deliver them. But God in his wisdom sends a child, and this child is Jesus. For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and these will be his royal titles. Now your, your Bible, if you have a, a King James Version, probably says, and his name will be called. 
Um, literally, these were not his names. I don't think Jesus' mother ever said, wonderful counselor, come here. Um, and I don't think his brother ever came to him and said, wonderful counselor, I've got a problem. But these were qualities or characteristics that this child would have. And this morning, I want us to look at the four names or qualities that Jesus has. As we're into the Christmas season, we may be singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Or James Stewart might have said, it's a wonderful life at this time of year. Or maybe you had a luncheon or a party or something, and you said, that was really wonderful. Um, but I want to ask you, what does the word wonderful mean to you? Like, that was good. Yeah, that was okay. Well, this verse, wonderful means um, extraordinary to the point of miraculous or beyond human comprehension. Okay, now we're going to split this up a little bit. His name is Wonderful Counselor. And most commentaries put Wonderful Counselor together. A couple separated it and did it as his name as Wonderful and as Counselor. Let me talk about Wonderful for a minute. Wonderful is not necessarily what he does that's included, but it's how he does it that's wonderful. And I think of the story of Gideon because it's already mentioned here in the passage. Gideon is facing an army. He's facing a battle. War is about to break out. And Gideon has 32,000 warriors and the opposing army has 135,000 warriors. And God says, you know, if you win, you're going to think it was you and not me. And so he says, why don't you send some of them home? And so Gideon says, if you're afraid, you may go home. And 22,000 people left. Now that's quite an army. 22 out of the 30,000 were afraid. And then he says, that's still too many. And so he has them drink from the water. And, and depending on how they did it, he sent others home. And now we're down to 300 soldiers. The odds are 450 to 1. And the wonderful God brings a great victory to them. I think of the Red Sea in Exodus 15, how the wonderful God delivered the nation of Israel. They had left Egypt and they were about to cross the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his armies were running down, racing down upon them. And God, wonderfully, beyond human comprehension, beyond what the human mind can, can absorb, parts the water. Who thinks of parting the water? The wonderful God parts the water. They cross through. The Egyptians are chasing them. Who but a wonderful God who does beyond what we could even think, the extraordinary to the point of miraculous, causes the wheels to fall off the chariots, and their soldiers are saying, I think their God is fighting for them. Like, really? You think so? But he's wonderful. How about Jesus when he walks on the water in the middle of a storm out to his disciples? He could have calmed the storm from shore, but he walks out there. How about when he fed 5,000, and there's even food left over there's more food left over than when they started. He's wonderful, extraordinary, to the point of miraculous or beyond what we could comprehend. 
Jesus comes, and he's wonderful. And I want to tell you, he's still wonderful today. You know what he did that was wonderful? He paid the penalty for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I deserve judgment. And a wonderful Savior, this child comes, and he pays the penalty for my sin. You know what's beyond my understanding? Is not only does he pay the penalty for my sin, he invites me into his family. He adopts me as his own and takes me into his family, this wonderful Jesus. He opens the way so I can communicate with the Father. After, when he hung on the cross and when he died and the curtain was tore open, now this wonderful child, this Jesus, this Savior, opens the way for me with God. This wonderful Savior puts his spirit within me. This wonderful Savior is coming back for me. And this wonderful Savior, who does extraordinary to the point of miraculous, is going to allow me to spend eternity with him. Jesus is wonderful. But not only is he wonderful, he's a counselor. A counselor is one who's suited to stand before princes and kings as their advisor. He's one who guides and gives direction. I am not a counselor. I'm an encourager. After you've been to a counselor and get your direction, I'm glad to encourage you. But a counselor is one who guides and brings direction. Let me tell you about Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, Luke 2 is such an interesting chapter it starts at his birth, and it goes all the way to 12 years old and beyond. All in one chapter. But in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was filled with wisdom. In verse 40, in verse 46 of chapter 2, it says that the people were amazed at his wisdom. In verse 51, it says he grew in height. He was physically growing and in wisdom. And in Matthew 13, the people even wondered, where did he get his wisdom? This Jesus. I don't know how many of you have been to a counselor. And I know sometimes that's not something we talk about. I don't know why. Going to a counselor is not a bad thing. Sometimes we just need help. And you go to a counselor because he has knowledge and wisdom and is able to help you. Can you imagine this? I went to a counselor one time because I needed help. And my life was in shambles. And I traveled some distance to get there and planned to spend a couple of days there. And after one day, the counselor said to me, I can't help you. You may as well go home. Life didn't get better. I needed someone who could direct me and give me, give me direction in my life. Jesus is a counselor. Let me read to you about Jesus. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought, even when far away. You chart the path ahead of me. You tell me where to stop and where to rest. Every moment, you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. 
You both precede me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He knows every need that I have. He knows every issue of my heart. He knows every problem that I face. And I can go to Jesus for his wisdom. But you might say to me, how do we do that today? Tell me practically, how do I do this today? Psalm 32, 18 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee. I will guide thee in the way that you should go. I want to tell you this morning, we need to be looking to Jesus. And we do that by spending time in his word. Psalm 119, verse 5 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And when I need the wonderful counselor, the one who can exceed all my expectations, the one who knows everything about me and every issue of my life and where I'm going, where I've been, what I'm going to say, when I need help, I go to the word and I see what he has to say to me. If you want Jesus, the wonderful counselor, to speak to you, You need to be in the Word and see what He has for you. Another name or quality for Jesus is He's called Mighty God. Well, the Hebrew word would be El Gabur. El is God. Gabur is strength or power or hero. This child who we read about in Isaiah 9, becomes flesh 700 years later. Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus, God becomes man, becomes flesh, and dwells among us. And he's mighty God. Power and strength and hero. And even as I thought about that, as I studied this, Jesus didn't always look like power and strength. In fact, there was a time when people looked at him and said, who is this guy? Let me explain. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he offered no resistance. Peter jumps up with his sword and takes a swing, and all he gets is an ear, and Jesus tells him to put that away. But Jesus is arrested, and he offers no resistance. He goes to trial after trial, and he never tries to escape. Every hero tries to escape. All right, I told you before I'm a Louis L'Amour fan, and I'm reading one again. See, Louis L'Amour is good for you because if you have a half a mind to watch TV, that's okay, it's enough. But to read Louis L'Amour, you don't even need, you can just kind of let it go, okay? But even the guys in the Louis L'Amour, the hero always tries to escape. Jesus didn't. Think about this a minute. He was mocked, and he never said a word. What strong, powerful hero guy doesn't stand up and speak up for himself? And Jesus never says a word. He's beaten. 
And he's beaten, beaten to the point that he's beyond recognition, is what Isaiah 52, 14 tells us. And then he was crucified. Strength and power and hero is now crucified. And to think, you know those legions, legions of angels that announced his birth and sang to the shepherds? Could have come down had he called them and rescued him. And hero, strength, and power stays on the cross, and he's crucified. He's buried. He dies, and he's buried. And in Matthew 27, even some people looked at him and said, huh, he saved others, and he couldn't even save himself. I know so far it doesn't look like strength and power, and it doesn't look like this child is mighty God. But let me tell you what John 10 verse 18 says Jesus said no man takes my life I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again Jesus in great strength and in great power yields to the cross Philippians 2.8 says that he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is. I kept saying to myself all week, don't ever say was. He still is. Mighty God. And even though he submitted to the cross, it was in strength and in power that he was obedient even to the death of the cross. How does mighty God work into your life today? Have you seen him working in your life? Let me suggest something here. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one with power, okay? Jesus is the creator. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the universe with the power of his word. Think of that. All Jesus does is says, moon, stay where you are. Earth, rotate the same way you are. Keep the same angle, tides, you can come in this far. Sun, you can shine. Clouds, you can come over. Snow can be snow. Jesus speaks and he sustains, he upholds the whole universe. And this same Jesus, this mighty God, cares for you. And Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The same one who created heaven and earth maintains it by speaking his word and he says, when you yield yourself to him and take him as savior, he says, what I've started in you, I'll complete. And in Jude chapter 24 and 25, he says that um, he will keep you from falling. A lot of times we read that as a benediction. And if I read it now, you'll think I'm, oh, it's, it's over. <laughs> But he says, and now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling. 
and who will bring you into his glorious presence, innocence of sin, with great joy. The same God that sustains the universe, the same mighty God, the same Jesus, is the same one who is there for you today. He's the everlasting Father. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. And you have to kind of understand, the word Father is the uh, possessor or the originator of. And Jesus is the originator of eternity or the originator of time. Um, James Madison is the father of the Constitution. Um, Selman Waxman is the father of antibiotics. Horace Mann is the father of education. It all kind of started and developed and grew with these men. And they're called the father of the Constitution or of um, education. Jesus is the originator of eternity. And he is the everlasting father. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is who always was and who still is to come, the Almighty One. Jesus, this child who is born to you, is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal and He's deity. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace is complete rest not based on the external things going on. Complete rest, not based on external. And then let me say this, the prince is the one who seeks to restore peace. Look at Jesus' life. Jesus is peace. He doesn't represent or reflect. Jesus is peace. How quickly things can destroy our peace in our life. Like, can you imagine, we barely get into the story of Jesus as you read the Gospels, and he's got 40 days of testing, and Satan himself comes to Jesus, and he beats him up with temptation. Jesus stays faithful, quotes the word of God. I tell you what, if Satan comes in and bashes me for 40 days, my peace might be gone. I might be struggling. And Jesus presses on. And the very next verse after it talks about the, or the um, temptations. It says, and Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Nothing destroyed his peace. Jesus is the one who can be asleep in a boat when the storm is raging because he knows his purpose and God's plan in his life and nothing, not even a raging storm, would bother him and he is asleep. Lazarus is sick. And they send word, and they want Jesus to come and, and visit him. And, and Jesus loved Lazarus. And he's going to go back to Judea. But the disciples even said, wait a minute, things aren't good over there for you. You remember they want to do you bodily harm? But Jesus goes, anyhow, that couldn't disturb his peace. How about when Jesus comes to shore, and a demonic man comes running up to him, and this guy had... They tried chaining him up because he was crazy, but he broke the chains and he kept tearing his clothes off and he kept beating himself. And this guy, Jesus comes, and he comes running to Jesus. That would disturb me and destroy my peace. And Jesus approaches him, cast out the demons. How about 
when Jesus stood before Pilate. I tell you what, if somebody stood in my face and screamed at me and accused me of things that I had not done, that would disturb my peace. How about when Jesus hung on the cross? Jesus has such peace that he says, Father, forgive them. Even a cross couldn't destroy his peace. And Jesus today still wants to have peace with us. I want to very quickly tell you about two kinds of peace. There's peace with God, and there's the peace of God. First of all, you need the peace with God. This Prince of Peace, he is the one who seeks to restore peace to us, and that peace needs to be restored between us and the Father. And in Colossians 1, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Jesus, and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who are once far away from God, who are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now he brought us back as friends. And he has done this through the death on the cross in his own human body. And as a result, he's brought us into the very presence of God. And you are holy and blameless before, as you stand before him without a single fault. I needed to be, have peace with God. And the Prince of Peace comes as a child, grows to be a man, dies on the cross for me. He raises again from the dead. He's seated now in heaven with the Father. But this Jesus, by dying, pays my penalty for sin. I now have peace with God. I'm not just right to where maybe... At some point in time, you and I have a difference. No, I don't want to be included. <laughs> we have a difference between each other. And maybe we're made right, and it's right like, all right, we're right, but I'm still not going to talk to you. I'm still not going to listen to you. I still don't want anything to do with you. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, made us right with God, God looks at me and he sees there is absolutely nothing in me that keeps me from him and I have a perfect relationship because of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of my sin I have this peace with God and then there's the peace of God and in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God, tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Can you imagine having a peace that is so great that nothing can destroy it. And when it says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, 
It's like peace is standing there as a soldier. And when anxiety and fear and doubt come, that soldier named Peace looks at that and says, nope, not going to give in to that one. You're gone. Peace guards our heart. Jesus had come to be the Prince of Peace. And Jeremy, your team can come up as I, as I conclude. Let me ask you this. We read the story about Jesus. Now let me ask you, is he still your wonderful counselor? Is Jesus wonderful to you? Sometimes after a while, what we have every day becomes common. You think, well, I wouldn't do that with Jesus, but I think of the nation of Israel when they had manna. The first day they said, this is wonderful. And the second day they said, this is wonderful. And the third day they said, this is pretty good. Because like leftovers, you get tired of the same thing day after day after day. And what was once wonderful isn't anymore. Is Jesus still wonderful to you? Is he your counselor? Do you spend time in the word to see how he would have you live and to act? Let me ask you, is Jesus mighty God to you today? Is he active in your life? Is he winning the battle are you trusting him to keep you from falling? Is Jesus everlasting father to you today? Do you look forward to and long for the day when we will spend eternity with him? We'll be in his presence. And have you met Jesus as the prince of peace? And this morning I could say, if you do not know Jesus as the prince of peace, the one who makes peace between you and God, then today... You can have this gift of life if you'll yield yourself to him and take him as your savior. Jesus is wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. And he is our prince of peace. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message, or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.